Hello, and welcome back to the Full Out Podcast. It's Sam, your host, and I'm so pumped that you are here. I'm so excited for this conversation today with Lindsay Roselle. Lindsay, welcome to the podcast. Hello. I want to give, hi, I want to give everyone just a little background about you, and then we're going to dive into all the things. So Lindsay, you are a growth and performance coach for high achieving women, which is perfect because the woman who listens to this is the high achiever. And I know that your mission is to help entrepreneurial women feel alignment between their ambition to succeed and their devotion to motherhood through expert growth and performance coaching focused on inner work, which I'm a huge fucking fan of mindset mastery. I talk about being a mindset ninja all the time and business strategy. So I know that we're going to dive into all the things. Thanks for being here. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, yes. I, every time I hear that read back to me, I'm like, yes, let's talk. Yes. <laughs> yes. So before we get into all the things, this is the full out podcast. And I would love to know what it means to you to live your life full out. Wow. Uh, I mean, I've actually been thinking about this recently with all the several things coming my way where it's what would the full on like all in version of me do? Um, and I think it's a couple of things. One is it's, it's not playing small. And, and I have kind of called myself out of, of that bullshit loop recently to be like, Lindsay, <laughs> no more playing small. It's 2023. God damn it. Like we survived pandemic. We, all these things, no more playing smalls. And every time that I feel myself with that, like self-limiting belief or the negative self-talk come up, it's like pattern interrupt. Uh. So that to me is a big part of it. And then it's also, um, really living in the present moment, which is something that has really crystallized for me around the last few years and, and how I spent so much of my life leading up to, to everything that happened in 2020. So focused on the next thing, the next, the next, the, the present felt boring, or like I couldn't spend much time here because I needed to be on to the next thing. And now I'm really, while I still have a future vision and I still am very future oriented in the, in the sense of achievement and being all in, I really prioritize, like if I'm all in, then I need to be all here right now. And especially having kids, that's, that's been a real wake up call to say all in for them is right now. They have no concept of the future, unless it's like, I promise them to take them to target later, you know? <laughs> um, but they're not thinking like paying off debt or hiring people or all these bigger things that I think about. Um, and so it's a good reminder for me. All in is, is all in with them in the present moment. I love that all in, in the present moment. So I'm really curious, you know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, um, recently I had a conversation with someone who works a lot on the nervous system and trauma responses and all of that stuff. And she was talking about how, um, how trauma and the nervous system is about the here and the now it needs mm -hmm. the present it needs the now. And so that's been a theme that's coming up for me a lot. I'm huge on expansion and next level. And where do we get to go? But I love that. You, this focus for you is being all here right now. And how has that actually impacted your life and your business shifting yeah. that focus from the next thing to the here and the now? I, I mean, a, a good and bad. I, um, I would say the last year of business for me has been the hardest in the sense that I am really taking my time with every decision and not, how do I say it? Like not selling things that I don't actually want to do. And that is a, ma a major shift for me in business because for so many years, since I've been an entrepreneur, which started in 2012, I have had big vision, but when it came down to selling the thing, I was like, oh, I liked the vision of this. I don't actually want to, to provide, I don't want to be the, the one that has to do all this coaching, or I don't want to have to be the one that manages this business, or I don't want to have to be the one that 
you know, implements this strategic plan I just sold to somebody. Um, but I would, I'd get myself into those positions because I was so focused on more or someone asked me for help and I, I could get their money to help them. And so I just did it. Um, and now it's really looking at my business and being all in is going, okay, if I'm, if I'm full on in this moment here in my business and I am selling this thing, is this something I really still want to be doing six months from now? If I'm selling a six month package, is this still something I want to retreat that I want to do this summer if I'm selling it as a retreat? And a lot of, a lot has come up for me in those questions where I'm like, oh, this is really uncomfortable because the answer is no, but I, I, I think I need to sell this to make money. And so this, especially in just in the recent, like last year or so of having more awareness around this and more commitment to being more present and being really, really, um, ruthless with my alignment, it's actually made it harder in some ways to be in business because I'm not able to sell things that I'm not a hundred percent like fuck yes on. And I have been able to sell those things in the past. And it's, it's created a little bit of like a complex in me now to go, well, uh, what can I sell? Like, what should I sell? Can I even sell anything? Because all I really want to do is like talk on podcasts and, and, um, you know, help people for free, which isn't actually a business. And so, yeah, it's, <laughs> I feel like I am actually the cobbler with no shoes recently because all of the strategy and all the things I teach ultimately comes down to like a lack of inner alignment. You'll never out strategy, a lack of inner alignment. And I finally got into inner alignment and I'm like, okay, now I'm in alignment. Now I have to like redo all strategy because I can't go back to the old way of being where I just sold stuff to make money. So it's a little bit of a wake up every day and, and be open to what the universe delivers time for me right now. Um, but as always, when you open yourself up like that, miraculous, interesting, unexpected things have been happening and they aren't necessarily all positive. Um, but they are all opening doors in different directions where if you had told me that a year ago, I would have been like, no, no fucking way I'm going to do that. But here we are. So the, the you'll never out strategy a lack of inner alignment. That is a fucking quote. That is so delicious and juicy. Yeah. I just like want to have that on a t-shirt yeah. on a mug. You'll never out strategy, a lack of inner alignment. It has to, I'm all about like the full body fuck yeses. Like it has to feel good or subconsciously I'm going to try and force and it's not going to work or people are going to be repelled or it's just not going to sell or whatever it is. Um, and, and you know, what's so interesting is like being a coach who talks about the expansion and working to get to the next goals, but then being totally unattached to what that looks like. And that's what I'm hearing you say too, is being surprised by these miracles that come in and shocked by what's going to happen in six months or a year from now, and still showing up in excellence. I was talking about excellence versus like perfection, perfection. showing up in excellence and then being open for open for the miracles. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the space I'm in right now where it feels very, um, it feels like being a beginner again. And I had a really hard time accepting that mindset, uh, like at basically at the end of last year and into this year, looking at, you know, a lot of what I perceive to be external judgment of somebody like me, who's had so much success and been through so many iterations of successful businesses. And I am such a out with it person. Like I share so openly and I, and this podcast is very vulnerable that I do. And, um, but that I'm 
at the same time, I was like, I'm kind of scared to admit to people. I don't want people to find out that the business motherload business isn't making any money. Like, because I'm not selling anything. I have this podcast and it's great and people know of it, but I'm not monetizing it at all. And it felt very like vulnerable and triggery to say out loud, I don't know what to do. Like, I, I feel weird saying this. I could out, I could go strategy anybody else's business and help make them hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars. I've done that over and over and over in my life. But when it comes to doing it for myself, every path I start down right now, thinking about that, or this was a couple of months ago, every path I started down felt so, I felt so much resistance. And I was like, you know, I taught yoga for 15 years. I owned a yoga business. I'm trained in yin yoga with thousands and thousands of hours of training. So I know what resistance is and I feel resistance in my body and every tissue of my body. And I will not override resistance now in, in this day and age of my life. And so for me, when I feel resistance, it's not something to be like, you know, motivated through or, or, uh, pushed through. It's something to go, wow, what is this? Like real deep curiosity to say, what is this resistance and why? And for me, it's like, put me in this beginner mindset to go. I don't, I think I'm going to go down new paths that I've never done before. And that feels scary to me because I don't know how to monetize a media company. I don't know how to monetize a podcast. I don't know how to monetize a speaking career, but those are the things I want to do now. And I just have to treat that like I'm open to whatever comes. Um, and so that's where we are. And excellence is, is such, that's the perfect thing. It, it, I know how to do thing with e things with excellence and you can still be a beginner and do it with excellence. And that's for my old performance mindset, <laughs> you know, like that high achiever who was like only winning. I'm an Enneagram three, like only winning is the thing, uh, softening on that and being like a beginner may not win, but they can still do it with excellence. That's been very edgy work for me recently. Mm, I want to acknowledge your honesty. Like it takes so much courage and fucking balls to be out and about and being like, yes, I've built all of these businesses. I've done all of this work. I'm highly successful. And right now this is the shit I'm in. Like, I just yeah. want to acknowledge you for that. Cause it's Thank fucking you. bold. <laughs> I started a challenge like a, a couple of weeks ago. I just decided it and put it on my Instagram. I was like, I'm going to make a hundred thousand dollars in, in a hundred days. I'm going to make a thousand dollars a day for a hundred days. And I, I'm not at that pay, like I'm 13 or 14 days in right now. And I have not made $14,000 and that's okay. But I also knew I wouldn't because I don't have, you know, when I started it, I was like, I'm giving myself a hundred days because I need the daily accountability to show up with my money and really be in relationship with my money and my money mindset and my habits and patterns. But it's, this is not like a showy thing where I'm, I'm going to, you guys are all going to be like, oh, of course she did it. I, I actually don't know if I can do it in this business. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I gave myself a runway and a daily accountability program. And, and here we are, but it, it's the same thing where it's like, somebody needs to talk about it. Somebody needs, I need to see successful people who are starting over and struggling to get the new thing off the ground in a different way. Cause no one likes to talk about that stuff. So I was like, I'll talk about it. Here we go. So, yeah, I'm all for that. I'm all about that. So speaking of things that people don't talk about, People, let me share with you what my perspective is on the working mom, the stay at home mom, the how to be a mom and juggle it all. My experience is that a lot of women talk about how fucking hard it is, about how they're exhausted, they're burnout, they're stressed out. I'm told often, like, well, good luck. You'll understand when you have kids. And my personal belief is that 
we can have it all. I don't believe you can have it all in the exact same moment, but I do think it's possible to have a business that lights me up and generates income. I do believe it's possible to have a family that I'm deeply connected to. I do believe it's possible to have uh, a healthy body and money in the bank and, you know, experiences that I want. I believe that that is actually a possibility, but a lot of what I hear from women who have children is that that is not their experience. And so therefore it's not possible. So I'm really, really excited. Cause I know that you talk about motherhood. You talk about being an ambitious woman. You talk about being a businesswoman. What is your opinion on this? Yeah. Um, I, I think you can have it all. And I I've done an episode literally set, you know, called, I think you can have it all. I don't think you can have it all as a mother without any help. Like I, I don't, I think that there are obvious circumstances where if you are the sole provider and the single parent, yes. Okay. You're not, you can't have it all. Like I'm, I don't want to fight or argue about the nuances of it, but somebody who is an ambitious woman who has had ambition through her whole life or has woken up to it in adult life and said, I have this dream, I have this goal. And I also want to be a devoted mother. I believe it's a hundred percent possible that you could be wildly successful in pursuit of your ambition and your goals to have the impact you want to have and be a devoted mother because a devoted mother isn't, there's no formula for what that, what perfect of that is. Right. And I think where we get uh, looped up in some of this stuff is thinking that to have it all means we have to show up as the Instagram mom who is, you know, homeschooling seven kids and baking sourdough every day. I mean, I bake sourdough once a week or so, but (laughs) you know, like I think that there is this unrealistic perception that the devoted mother is 100% devoted to her children and the ambitious woman is 100% devoted to work. And there's obvious math problems there that don't, that, that doesn't add up. But when you really look at how does life work and how does identity work, the, the having it all is, can you love your life? Like, that's the thing for me. When you ask me, can you have it all? I think what you're really asking me is, can I still love my life? If I do both things, am I going to feel guilty all the time? Am I going to feel bad at things? Am I going to not like myself? And my answer to that is absolutely not. I think you can love your life and do both things exactly how you want to do them. And your version of it may look different than mine. I have lots of friends who work 60 hour weeks and have a lot of childcare and have stay at home dads. And I have lots of friends who work 10 hour weeks and have working dads and everything in between. And I would say they're all happy and, you know, or generally happy. And so it's not about a formula of what having it all looks like. It's when you feel like you have it all, to me, that's a measure of happiness. And I do think that's possible for everybody. Mm, That's so good. So what do you say to the woman who is like, Lindsay, I hear you, but I am not happy right now. Like I'm trying to juggle and I'm, I'm a little exhausted. I'm a little burnt out. How do I get there? Yeah. Well, so a lot of where I start is looking at Uh, mental load and kind of the buckets of the mother load. And for me, those are work, money, fun, health, love, uh, or relationships, kids, and purpose or meaning. And when I walk people through this mental load audit, and we start to kind of map out everything that's on your mind, everything that you're in charge of, or that you feel responsible for in each of those buckets, and how, um, and the good stuff that's in them too, you know, like how do you score essentially a zero to 10 in, in a happiness score or a success a satisfaction score in each bucket. And it becomes really apparent really quickly 
where there's imbalance. And if you think of like, I, I do a lot of work with capacity and looking at the mother load and capacity, because I think that it's, you know, overwhelm and burnout comes from capacity dysregu like, dysregulation, not, um, not that like the whole job is hard. And, and you said it, like, there's so much of this noise out there on the, on the internet and on social media that like everything about motherhood is hard and the mental load is hard. And it is sure. But, but I also don't agree that the best way to teach other women about it or other mothers is just constantly say how hard it is. Because I, I think that that actually, um, generalizes what is a very nuanced conversation of, of looking at all these buckets and going, okay, like you literally are carrying seven buckets. That's your capacity is how much each of those buckets can hold. And if one is overflowing, splashing everywhere, and another one is empty and can catch that overflow, then okay. Like maybe, maybe you can, you have enough capacity to move everything around and handle it all. If every bucket is overflowingly full, we've got a problem. Or if one is totally empty or has a hole in it and, and the others are only have a little bit, like, you know, we can go through all the different examples of how the load is not getting distributed in a way that's going to result in alignment or balance or feeling good for you. And, and, th and then, so once we do that audit, then it's looking at, okay, what, how can we lighten your load and how can we grow your strength? So you can actually carry heavier buckets or fuller buckets. And that's a capacity calculation. And then that kind of all drills down from there into the thing that I think is the real answer to this question, which is if you're not happy, I can, I can probably guess why based on how your buckets look, like what's going on in your audit. But what I see the most and what the truth was for me when I did this inquiry a few years ago and really like got to the root of this through my inner work was the prioritization of who, who, who you're taking care of. And it used to be for me that the businesses were at the top because I'm achievement oriented and I'm a breadwinner. The business always had my attention. Then the kids, because they were the next most needy, you know, thing, then my relationship and then me. And as you can imagine, at the end of 2020, I had no businesses left. My kids were, I mean, my kids were great, but my relationship failed and we had to totally rebuild and I was a freaking mess. And when I rebuilt and looked at all of this stuff, I, I realized the reason I'm not happy is because I don't take care of myself. I don't know what I want. I am, I am acting on everyone else's behalf before my own. And I am so pulled in the direction of, I have to achieve to, to, be worth anything that there's no possible way I'm ever going to be happy because my self-worth is externally measured. And I did a lot of work with a lot of therapy and a lot of inner work to flip that on its head. So now when I work with people, it is how do we get you to the top of the list? And it sounds trite, but it's so true. And it doesn't have to mean like you take a bath every day or you have all this like self-care. It's not about that. It's that your well-being is prioritized first, whatever that requires. Then your partnership, if you are, especially if you're a mother, because your partnership with a co-parent or the person living in the household with you where the kids are, if that's, if that's dysregulated, the kids are not going to be okay. So partnership next, then the kids and then the work. And for, in my life, since redoing the order of prioritization in that way, everything has opened up in, in beautiful healing, you know, like I can only describe it as like everything felt so restricted and so rigid and hard when it was flipped the other way. And now when I stick to that prioritization of me first and then my partner and then our kids and then my business, 
everything feels soft and flowy. Doesn't mean nothing, like nothing is hard. Of course it's hard, but it doesn't feel resistant. Like it doesn't feel so rigid all the time. And so that's what I try to help people figure out and, and like come, come to in their lives and accept that that's what they're going to have to do. The work to do that is extremely hard to change, to change the habits and the patterns that have trained a lot of us to take care of everything else besides ourselves first. So that's other, that's big work. Yeah. There's so much in there. I want to go back to the capacity piece. Cause I talk about capacity in through the lens of if your dream life, dream vision dropped into your lap, would you have the capacity to hold it? Would you have the time? Would you have the energy? Would you have the support? Would you have the space? Would you have all of the things that you desire? And then connecting that gap of like, oh shit, this is what would fall through the cracks. This is where I'm not taking care of myself. This is where I would require support and setting life up in that way so that we collapse timelines to getting to that vision more quickly by already acting as if it's there. Um, but I love this take on your capacity and literally holding these buckets. I think it's such a good visual and it's so easy to grasp. So I think that that is just super juicy and delicious. And then the prioritization, I talk about it so much. And I love that you were talking about this. Like, first of all, thank you. As someone who doesn't have kids, I'm loving this conversation. Cause I'm like, yes, tell me everything. Tell me what I need to know. Um, but this is also the work I, I help women with too, is prioritizing self, coming home to themselves, rewiring their brains, letting go of the limiting beliefs, letting go of society's expectations. And what I'm hearing is that this is really just the next level. Stepping into motherhood is the next level of relearning what it means like to prioritize self. Yeah, it is that. And, and motherhood is such an identity it's an identity, you know, parenting is the behavior and the the decisions and the action of becoming, of having a child that's parenting. The identity is motherhood. And so when you look at what happens when your identity fractures it, it, and has to be rebuilt, like it does when you become a mother, it it is the, it's the time, the opening to ask all these questions about, you know, what do I want and, and how, how do I need to take care of myself? And, um, you know, what do I want my rhythm to feel like day to day? And if we are so externally focused, like so many of us are, where we're so conditioned to look outside for influence on that and look to others for, to tell us if we're doing it right. Then as you rebuild in motherhood, it's, you're susceptible to all this messaging that it like has to be about the baby. It has to be about, um, parenting. It has to be about your partner and all these other things. And it's like, but it's so easy for us to get lost, like us, the, the mother to get lost in that conversation. Um, and that's why a lot of people I work with, it's like years down the road, a couple of years down the road that they're waking up to going, wow, I didn't do any of this work ahead of time to really understand how I need to be nourished or what keeps me regulated in my nervous system or, you know, what I want my relationship to feel like, or how I want to relate to my family or, you know, all these questions that you kind of have to face once you're a parent. And if you can do that work or at least get some of that intimacy with self created before you become a mother, I think it, it helps that transition. And that's where, what I didn't do and why motherload exists now is like, I wish that I had had these conversations and could hear someone like me talk six years ago and go, Hey, you know how you're so achievement oriented, you never slow down and all you care about is winning and like 
achievement in your business, uh, that's going to translate in a negative way into parenting, into motherhood. So like, let's, let's look at what it takes for you to feel whole with yourself. Like, how do you, what does self-love mean to you? Like, if you had asked me what self-love meant before I became a mother, I would have like run the other direction. That's not a conversation I wanted to have. Um, and, and so some of that, like intimacy with self is, I think the biggest gift you can give to yourself pre-motherhood so that once you become a mother, you are easy, more easily able to distinguish what is me and mine? What do I need for me? And what is a message I've received from culture or an expectation I'm putting on myself because of a belief system I was raised with, or, you know, I don't want to look dumb or negligent or whatever to other people. And so I'm taking all this on, uh, having that awareness will aid so much in the re like the reunification of identity as you come out of, uh, the, the transition into motherhood. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting, this identity shift. I, I I talk a lot about grief and, and Mm -hmm. the living deaths that we experience. And one of those is the, the job loss, but the identity loss. And so stepping into that next chapter, as I look at that in, you know, whatever timing that decides to happen, the chosen grief of who I was before versus who I am then next and now, and really Hmm. it's like, we're choosing that. And yet I don't think a lot of women know how to move through that grief or they make it wrong or they make judgments about it or the create stories around, around that. And I'm such a big fan of both. And like, I can be super happy and grateful and excited for where I am now and still feel the loss and the grief of what my life was or who I used to be. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. Oh yeah. Grief is Grief is huge. Grief is one of those topics. I know you, you know, cause you talk about it, that our American culture, especially just completely glosses over. Um, but grief and motherhood is so real and so potent. And, and it is the grief, the loss of identity and like the death of ambition is something that a lot of mother mothers I've interviewed on my podcast have said that they felt when they initially made the transition into motherhood, where they were like, God, it feels those first few months or that first year, it felt like the ambitious version of me died because I couldn't harness, like I couldn't, I couldn't feel it. I couldn't go find it in my, I I would like use my old mindset tricks to fire myself up and nothing would happen. And it's like, well, yeah, you know, (laughs) because it's a new identity and, and there is grief for that old person and the, the ways and the patterns that we were able to survive and that we got comfortable in that, that identity that we previously had. Now we're in a new identity. It's incredibly uncomfortable. And so we're grieving how uncomfortable it is uh, to be this new version of ourselves, which sounds so weird because you have a very real memory of who you were just nine months previous, and yet you don't feel like that person at all. But the interesting thing about motherhood too with grief is that grief is baked into motherhood. Every single milestone that your child hits is this reminder that a version of them is gone and you'll never know them as that ever again. And so it's this constant reminder of how identity changes and you literally see it unfold in front of you as your kid goes from every age milestone. You know, I have a three-year-old, almost four-year-old and a five, almost six-year-old right now. And, you know, I, there's literally days where I look at my almost four-year-old and I'm like, oh, like you're, you're, you're less, less a baby than you were yesterday. And it becomes harder and harder for me to remember when he was a little bit, like it makes me emotional. And and, and then sometimes I'm like, do I need to have another baby? <laughs> you know, but, um, grief is so alive in motherhood. And I think if you open yourself up to it and you're willing to feel it, 
and you're willing to feel how grief affects you looking at your children externally and equate that to how grief affects you looking at older versions of yourself or, you know, past versions of yourself. It's the same celebration that you can do to go. I mourn that my baby is no longer here, but I have my four-year-old and he is magnificent, you know? And so I, I'm sad for the baby and the memories, but I would never trade obviously to have him in the incarnation he is today. And, and that is, I mean, even talking about it, it's like mind blowing. And I think the human condition has a hard time having these conversations and having these thought patterns because our brains don't like to feel like that duality, that dissonance between, wait, why am I sad about something that's sitting here right in front of me? Like I, I'm missing my kid, but he's here. It's like, well, you're missing a former version of him that you also loved. Okay. So then translate that inward and go, gosh, Lindsay, like maybe you could let yourself off the hook a little. You're missing an old version of you that could work 60 hour weeks and have three businesses at a time and be in hustle mode with no sleep. She doesn't exist anymore. She grew up, she has babies. No amount of caffeine is ever going to overcome that. So let that go, you know, just like you aren't mad at your four-year-old for not being a baby anymore. And so, yeah, that obviously I could talk on that for a while, but um, that's been a huge awareness shift for me and a healing moment in my identity as a mother to, to accept that grief is part of it. And that to look at that older version of myself, not as something to be compared to, or to, to want to get back to, but to say, you know, I grew up, I aged and she's no longer here and that's okay. You are inspiring me so much right now. And I've never heard grief through the lens of motherhood before. So this is beautiful and amazing. And, and it, what comes up for me as I hear all of this is just the invitation again for women to do the inner work and to do the healing, whether they are pre-kids, pregnant, post-kids, just this importance of coming back to self and honoring and acknowledging all of the seasons, all of the emotions, all of the facets, all of the sides. And that's when, when we can integrate all of that work, I feel like that's when we feel whole. It's, it's calling back all parts of ourselves and honoring all parts, regardless of whether we're in the present with them or if it's this past version. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why the, I speak now, you know, um, uh, on stages and in and, and mastermind groups and all these things. And not everybody's a mom and everything that I do. And obviously I'm speaking from my experience as a mother, but a lot of these themes are deeper than just motherhood, you know, and there's so much opportunity we all have to do some of this inquiry around grief. And, and what have we, what have we just bowled over in our lives because we didn't want to sit in the discomfort of grief and, you know, what have we, when have we experienced identity shifts going through different stages in our lives and not given any credence to how massive of a transition that was, you know, like adolescence into adulthood is something that our culture celebrates in a way by like sending us off to college or like, you know, you're 18. Now you have legal rights to do things. And it's like, well, also, <laughs> you know, a lot of us graduate from college in our early twenties and are like, wait a second. I'm not a kid anymore. Like I have to go do things for myself. And, and that's that grief comes up to go, Oh, I miss like being able to call my mom and just have her do this for me. And some of us still do that. Yeah. I still do that occasionally, but you know, I think there's periods in our lives. We can all look back to whether or not you're a mother and go, I remember how that feels to, to have this awareness happen in, in a moment and go, wow, 
this is something I have to do now in a different way than I've done before. And I'm, I miss that old version of me. Um, and, and I think there's always value for us to look at in our identity, how we've grown over time to look back at previous versions of ourselves and feel all the feelings that come up in that inquiry. That will always be a great place to start from an inner work standpoint is to look back at previous versions of you and celebrate how you've changed. Yes. The celebration piece, I think is so, so, so important and not from a space of like the toxic positivity of, I'm just going to like put a positive thing on top or the affirmation on top, but to find that like deep embodied gratitude and honoring of what you've been through, like resilience is fucking powerful. And so I love this embodied celebration of like, yeah, I fucking did that. Like David Goggins talks about it in one of his books. He's, he's a little wild and cuckoo, but there's some pieces that I, that I appreciate. And he talks about that mental cookie jar where he's like, when I'm on a crazy run and I don't know if I can do it, I pull out the mental cookie jar and I pull out the cookie of, oh yeah, I did that. Oh yeah, I did that. Oh yeah, I did that. And there's this piece of that celebration and really that self-honoring and acknowledgement that um, we're not taught how to do. I don't, I don't believe that we're taught how to love ourselves or honor ourselves or no. find that internal validation in any way, shape or form. So this is, especially um, if you're a millennial, especially if you're an elder millennial, but no, we were elder. <laughs> we, yeah, I, I just turned 40 in 2022. So I'm like, definitely. I remember, you know, Carmen San Diego and, and a life without a cell phone and all of that. But I also grew up with the internet and you know, we, we, we come from millennials come from this generation where we were externally motivated, like our mindset, parenting mindset and educational mindset for most of our generation was trophies and praising for results, not effort, right? It's not the growth mindset that everybody gets hammered on today. It was much more external validation. And that feels good as a, as a parent, you know, my parents were boomers, our boomers, so they were not ever praised because their parents were depression era babies who were like, I suffered. So you'll suffer, you know? And so my parents reacted to their upbringing by praise, 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 praising us a lot. And praise doesn't actually result in resilience. Praise results in dependence on external validation. And so I think a lot of us, we get trained to need to be validated externally. And that doesn't create resilience. It doesn't create um, self-knowledge or self-awareness, it creates a lot of paralysis. And I think you see that in a lot of our generation. And I've been through lots of that where I, I, I probably knew the answer in my intuition, but because I was so ex like, so trained and conditioned to go get validation, I went and asked everyone their opinion, which didn't actually help do anything more than para paralyze me even more. And now, you know, all, through all the work I've, I've done now, it's, I've trained myself how to come back in and feel the answer. And then if it's something that I still want to go validate with the people that I care about, then I have choice to go ask for an opinion. But that that habitual loop a lot of us are in is conditioned into our generation around we were taught from a young age that if you're praised for something, you should do more of that. And if you don't get any praise for something, you shouldn't do any more of that. And and if you have, if you're interested in something, you should go ask a bunch of people's opinions on whether or not you should do it, or if you're going to be good at it. And, and I, that just bypasses our, our whole operating system and our whole nervous system and our inner attunement to what is truly meant for us and what's truly meaningful for us. 
and what is us trying to, to find love externally instead of love from within. Um, and that I can tell you, if you're still wired that way and you move into parenting still wired that way, it's very, very hard and confronting because you, you realize really quickly with your own children, they aren't going to praise you very much, you know, and they aren't going to make you feel great about yourself all that often. They, they do it's intrinsic, but like, if that's why you're in it is to, to be praised or you're trying to get external validation for being so good at being a mother, you're not going to find it there. Um, and, and that's where I've seen people, myself included, fall apart because it, it is motherhood. The identity is not about doing it well. It's not a thing that you can do well or not well. It's an identity. It's, it's you. It's who you are. You can only be you. It is something you can know better. And it is something you can live more into, but it's not something you'd be perfect at or, or even be, you know, there's no measure. Um, so that that's the biggest, I think, thread of all of this is you've got to know how you're motivated and you need to know how to love yourself and how, and that your worth, where your self-worth is generated from. And if you're still wired to, to get a lot of that externally, that's the opportunity you have before stepping into motherhood. Mm, I'm just taking furious notes over here. I'm like, correct. Yes. Yes. Resonates. Yep. Uh-huh. Correct. Uh, and I love that, uh, connection to what our parents received and how that informed how they parented. And so I'm of the firm belief that humans are overall good and they're doing the best they can with the tools they have. And so I'm curious, how do we not fuck up our kids? <laughs> <laughs> don't ask, don't ask my kids. My kid says fuck all the time, by the way, my five-year-old, like whenever, so happy. <laughs> whenever it's either when he's like really happy and like wants to be funny and he's just get he's almost six. So he's just almost there where he knows like how to be funny and he'll say it just to like get me and, and my partner's attention. And we're like, Oh my God. Or when he's really, really, really angry, he'll say it. He'll scream fuck. And I'm like, Oh God, like shit. <laughs> I, I have already lost at parenting. Um, but no, I mean, I, I think how you, how you don't fuck up your kids is you take responsibility to do the work for yourself and you don't make it your kids' responsibility to make you be okay. And, and I say that with like adamance because I have a parent who has not done that. And I, to this day, and I have a sibling, my, my sister's two years younger than me. And we all live within like a five mile radius of each other here in, in Colorado. And I'm like, how do you get into your sixties? and still not understand that you projecting your shit onto your adult children is not healing, you know, is not how to live, is not making anybody happy. And, and, and I'm 40, I can handle it. I, I see, you know, my parent and I understand why they are the way they are. My, but when I think of little Lindsay and I think like, man, and I've done a lot of work on this. Like I've been on ayahuasca journeys and all the shit to figure this stuff out. Little Lindsay didn't know that my parent wasn't going to take care of it themselves, you know? And so I thought it was my job. And, and I carried a lot of that through a lot of my life. And now that I have my own kids, I'm like, God, I would never put them in that position. I never want them to feel like they have to help me. I want them to know I got them and I got me and I, I'm, I'm going to mess up, but I'm going to be self-aware enough to know that my messing up and my mistakes. And when I need support, it's not their responsibility to step in and handle that for me. 
And, and I, it sounds silly when they're three and five, but three and five-year-olds are already being conditioned to be 13 and 15 and 23 and 25 and 33 and 35. And the biggest gift I can give them is for them to see me be healthy, them to see me do the work, to admit when I'm wrong, to go through hard stuff and, and be honest and candid about it. And I've done that. And, you know, and yeah, so maybe my six-year-old says fuck a lot. Cause I say fuck a lot, but like, you know what? He knows that I, he knows why I work. He knows I love my work. He knows when I'm with him, I'm with him. He knows all the dynamics between me and his dad and, and all of our family, like we're very open and honest. And I'm like, God, that's what I didn't get. And that's why <laughs> the things that I knew about my parents as a kid, I knew of things about them that they didn't admit until they were adults until I was an adult. And I'm like, I freaking knew that when I was little and you guys, you hit it. And, and the awareness I now have of that in my family system makes me want to change how that goes down in my household, you know? So that to me, that's how you don't fuck up your kids is you take radical responsibility for yourself and you never put your stuff on them. Mm, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So good. So, so good. So good. So I know that we're getting close to the end now, and I have a quick question for you. What is something that no one has asked you on a podcast that you're like, I wish people would talk about this, or I wish someone would ask me this. Huh? Um, you know, one of the, the, the lesser asked questions in my realm is around how it, how, um, motherhood affects relationship and how, if you are in relationship ahead of time with your partner, and then you become a parent that dynamic. And I think just like money, sex, and intimacy is one of those things that people don't like to talk about or are afraid to ask people about. Um, but because it, it shows up so high in my order of priority, it's, it's something that I think is warrants more conversation and more awareness that, you know, the, the transition from just the two of you to becoming a parent is insanely disruptive to a relationship. And it's not that it's negative at all. It could, it can be, um, but that it's one of those things where don't, please don't make an assumption that you can just transition into motherhood and into parenthood and never have a conversation about your relationship, because that's, that's one of the things that I see the most prevalent in all the women I work with now who have two, three, four, five-year-old kids, everything is great. They're healing themselves. Their businesses are growing again but their relationships are fucked. And I'm like, yeah, cause y'all haven't talked about this stuff. Like what's going on? Well, I haven't had sex with him in a year or I'm not even attracted to him anymore. I got off of birth control. We got pregnant. I'm not even sure he's the one for me. And I'm like, okay. So, so this is, you know, I'm not an expert on relationships and my relationship has had its ups and downs, but it's one of those topics that has to come into this conversation, especially if you are ambitious and you're used to taking care of yourself and you're used to being independent and you and him have always kind of been a team and now you're going to become a mother. There's a lot of work there that has to, that has to happen. And, and it has to be just radically honest. And I see so many relationships where they are already not honest with each other prior to becoming parents. They're already hiding things from each other. They're already not totally, um, united in beliefs or values. And to me, I'm just like, red flag, <laughs> you know, yeah. that stuff's gonna, it's gonna yeah. come up. It's gonna come up. And so do the work now before, before it becomes uh, something that impacts your children, you know? 
What are some of those questions or types of conversations that you wish you would have had with your partner before you had kids? Um, money, number one, how, you know, how is money going to be made and spent? Who, who, and how is the decisions around money, especially um, if one of you is a breadwinner and that dynamic will be disrupted when there is a child. Um, so money is the biggest trigger of all of it. The second thing is um, body image and sex and physical connection. And I think I believe this and I'm fine saying this, that I believe most men are more physically oriented. Like they, they feel more in the relationship from the physical connection. Women are able to kind of go without that for longer and be okay. And one of the biggest things that happens, obviously, when you become a mother, what, you know, if, if you gave birth to the child, and even if you didn't, honestly, I know adoptive moms who have the same physical symptoms as, as biological moms, your body changes. And obviously there's hormones and all these things, but, but beyond the hormones, it, the physical tenor of your body, the, the sensations you feel and how you feel them shifts because biology wants you to be oriented, to keep the child alive, not to go get pregnant again. And, and that may last a couple of years. And I, you know, most spouses, men are not wanting to wait a couple of years for intimacy to return. And so there's a lot, a lot, a lot of nuance and, and subtext to these conversations, but you have to be able to have a conversation about sex with your partner. You have to be able to have a conversation about money with your partner. You have to have a conversation about boundaries and family being involved in decision-making and whose opinions we're going to listen to and who's not. And is it okay to piss off your mom if we don't get them baptized? Is it okay to piss off my dad if we don't want to do this or that, you know? And because those are the things that like you might, they might come to mind when you're just in relationship with your partner. Like you meet his mom, you're like, huh, she's super religious and I'm not. And so I wonder if that's going to be a problem. Huh. And then you never think about it again. You get pregnant, you have the kid and all of a sudden now it's a massive conflict and you're like, oh, damn, <laughs> you know, missed opportunity that we didn't talk about this ahead of time. So it's not that you can't repair all those things. You obviously can. And, and I, I'm never a all or nothing person, but there are so many hot button things that I already see people in non-kid relationships struggling with. And then they have a baby and I'm like, oh man, <laughs> oh man you know? Um, so, so yeah, sex, money, boundaries, um, breadwinning, like time, like whose, whose time is going to get sacrificed if something's with the kid, you know, um, my partner and I, even to this day with a three-year-old and a five-year-old have conversations ongoing about, Hey, there's no school today, or somebody is sick. Whose day gets disrupted? Cause mine are podcasting all day. I can usually move stuff around. He runs a company with 20 people in a physical location. 30 minutes from our house, his day is harder to disrupt than mine. You know, so those are ongoing conversations forever, but the big ones are the ones we didn't have. We didn't talk about sex and how body image and all that would change things. We didn't talk about money. We didn't talk about family and boundaries and religion and things like that. And all those three things were massive causes of conflict that led to us separating in 2020. Um, so those are the ones I can speak from. This has been so powerful. Your honesty is incredible. It, I've gotten so much value from this conversation and I know that the listeners um, will as well. I feel like I could talk to you for another 
multiple hours because I feel like we're just scratching the surface, but I feel like we hit some incredible, incredible things today. Um, where can people find you? Yeah. The best place to find me is on Instagram. That's my OG platform. I don't think I'll ever leave. Um, I'm just at Lindsay Roselle and, uh, all the other things are linked from there. So if you're interested in the podcast, it's called mother load, L O A D mother load. Uh, it's linked in my profile there, or you can just search on podcasting mother load podcast. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm on IG a lot and, um, I love to talk about this stuff and I love to direct you to different episodes or any questions you have. If there's something that came up today that you want to dig into further. Mm, So good. Lindsay, final parting words. What does the woman who's moving through life right now need to understand about herself, motherhood, her identity, living her life full out any last words of, of wisdom or advice? Yeah. I, I, the answer I usually have to the question like this is take every opportunity you have to be uncomfortable and really understand how you behave and how you respond to discomfort, that ability and that knowledge of yourself will serve you so well in every aspect of your life, especially motherhood. Um, and I, I see the result of people who didn't ever really spend much time getting uncomfortable and are now mothers and it are encountering discomfort a lot. Um, and they don't have the resilience muscle. They don't have the, the discipline muscle and it's harder to build that the longer you go, you know, so take the time, do the things that make you uncomfortable and be present in the discomfort. So you really know where it lands in your body and you know how to handle it. That practice will serve you so well as a mother. Mm, So, so good. Lindsay, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for joining me. If today's podcast inspired you in any way, we would love your support in spreading the word. Please subscribe, rate, and review, and let the other queens in your life know that they are also worthy of living life full out. If you want to continue the conversation, I'd love to connect with you on Instagram or Facebook at Samantha Jo Harvey. Have a fabulous day, and I'll see you next time.